Josh, I got a question for you. What's up, Eric McAdams? It's a very easy one, or at least it should be. Nuclear weapons, good or bad? They're bad because they go boom and they kill people. Excellent essay. Thank you for joining me, Josh. Up. We're live here. God damn it, Josh. <laughs> Give me a three, two, one count and then stop. Alright, alright. Three, two, one. Welcome to Big Time Whoopsies. My name is Eric McAdams and this is a podcast about incompetence. Every episode I tell a friend of mine and you, the listener, a story from history involving massive incompetence. This week I have my good friend Josh. Say hi, Josh. Hey, I'm also a very incompetent, so it seems good. Yeah, we're all about, like, thematic cohesion on this podcast. Yeah, that's why I'm here. I just find, I just, I'm I'm a huge idiot, and I find the biggest idiots to talk to. So let's do it, baby. <laughs> you line them up, I'll knock them down. So the first time you were on this was a long time ago, and I never asked you back because you were so terrible. Exactly. No, I just forgot because I'm a shithead. So the first, tell me what the first one was about. The one that I had you on a long time ago. You got to rejog my memory, Eric. Back when this podcast was in its larval stage. That's not what you had to rejog my memory about. I don't, I don't even know what the last one was about. The whole time I was like, I don't know what this story is. (laughs) (laughs) You were there the whole time. I was there the whole time. If there's anyone in the world who should remember that, you remind me. You remind me what it was about. Well, it involved trash. Oh, it was these Italians who were throwing their trash on the road. There we go. Uh, it was the trash mafia. Oh, yeah. I made fun of Italian people for a long time. Yeah, exactly. There you go. That's as you should. So, this, so I, the one thing that I, really, that I really remember from recording that is when I was telling you about how, you know, these Italians would set fire to their toxic garbage and ruin their own country was when you just kind of looked at me and went, trash is sad. <laughs> and I decided that I wanted to get that feeling again because I loved it so much, and there are so few things that make me happy in the world. Nice, nice. Well, uh, you you got the right guy. I I will say eloquent. I'm a wordsmith. You know, I'll say things like "trash is sad." Yeah. Well, I'm I'm going. I'm trying to I'm trying to make you as miserable as possible. That's my goal. Perfect. Here. Yeah. Really bum me out. I'm ready. <laughs> this on this lovely Sunday morning. There's several hurricanes headed barreling towards us. <laughs> Let's do it. It's nice now, though, so do you want to get into it? Yep. All right. March 21st, 2017. Recent. Yeah. San Antonio, Texas. Ooh, the Alamo. Security experts from the Department of Energy's Idaho National Laboratory have driven all the way here from Idaho to pick up some radioactive materials. Their job is to verify that the materials are legit, then make sure nothing happens to them on the way back. How do you do that? You, well, they, they know how to do it. They got sensors to see that, like, it's really radioactive, radioactive stuff, stuff. And then, like, you know, keep a sharp eye on yeah. it. You know, I'm, in my mind, I'm like, they can't taste it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they can't lick it. 
So, so what can you know? do? <laughs> yeah, what can, if you can't taste it, you just gotta say, well, that's something. Out of options. So they stopped at a Marriott hotel off the 410 and left the sensor equipment and the plutonium and cesium in the backseat of the car. Oh, no. When they woke up the next morning, they found someone had smashed the window and taken all of it. Damn. Oh, you know those classic San Antonio uh, cesium bandits? Yeah. <laughs> cesium is, really goes for a high price on the San Antonio gray market. I'm a small-time criminal. You know I do things like I uh, steal credit cards and uh, cesium. Yeah, you ever heard cesium. of it? <laughs> the nuclear materials were never found. And there seems to have been no real investigation to do so. What? Do you think they, maybe they defrauded it? Do you think it's fraud? Sounds like fraud. (laughs) It was them all along. How's there no investigation? So the San Antonio police tried to get witness, fingerprint, or surveillance evidence to no avail. They were reportedly dumbfounded that the agents had left the nuclear material (laughs) unattended in the car in a parking lot in a bad area of town. That same Marriott parking lot, just the parking lot, saw 86 other similar thefts in that year alone. Wow. Not that similar, though. You know, oh, 86 <laughs> times there was cesium and plutonium Similar got in that they smashed the window, I assume. <laughs> yeah, sim- no, similar in that it was all uh, nuclear material. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading from an article in from uh, mysanantonio.com, so it's local uh, reporting. Uh, that's my favorite... Uh... San Antonio publication. Yeah. (laughs) That's my homepage. Yeah, yeah. This incident is apparently one of many, as the U.S. military seems to be extremely lenient when it comes to security of its nuclear materials. They do not make their accounting public, but in 2009, the last time they did come out to the public with these kinds of reports... It was found that over 45 pounds of weapons-grade uranium that was listed as secure was, in fact, missing. How is this not like headlines? I've never heard about this. Yeah, right? Punishments for these little oopsies seem to be non-existent. I I told you that these were two security experts from San Antonio that were people behind this. Their security company was given an A grade by the lab. (laughs) Got almost all of its promised bonuses and received a five-year extension to its contract. So they just don't give a shit if this... Am I allowed to curse on this? Yes, 100%. They just don't... They don't give a care uh, <laughs> if they're... Was this weapons grade? Is this weapons grade? Yes, That's yes. Not. This oh, is, is weapons grade plutonium that Well, there's lost. probably some guy who's just like, let's see what I got today when I stole my car. And then he probably... Wouldn't he probably have died from like the radioactive and couldn't they have yeah, figured they out like that's easily could was. have gotten some kind of like radiation sickness or something from wow. it um and they they didn't lose a lot they were like the they were like discs kind of like yeah they were they were small things they weren't enough to like create a whole bomb yeah sure but these ones enough to but ruin like, a burglar it day. only takes like plutonium the size of like a grapefruit to make a bomb like for enough to really? make a, like a nuclear bomb Wow. You heard it here, folks, folks. It only takes a grapefruit to make yeah. a nuclear bomb. In the same article, they were like, the if you had enough uh, plutonium for, like, to make up, like, the same weight as, like, a cat, or, is, or enough uranium, the same weight as just, like, a brick, you've got enough to make a nuclear bomb. Cats, bricks, and grapefruits. That's what nuclear bombs. So, let's talk about the way the United States military handles nuclear weapons. 
Let's do it. Because by all accounts, they're pretty strict about other people using nuclear stuff. They yeah. They they hand out several fines a year to like civilian organizations for their handling of nuclear stuff. But it turns out they're not great at it themselves. Surprise. Yeah. December 17th, 1938. Otto Hahn and his assistant Fritz Strassmann conduct an experiment building on the work of Enrico Fermi and their own work with Lisa Meitner. Hahn and Strassmann bombard uranium with neutrons and discover that the uranium's nucleus effectively breaks in half, releasing a large amount of energy and producing barium. Thus, they become the discoverers of nuclear fission. Whoa. Yeah. Big deal. Yeah, nuclear fission split, burst an atom in half, these boys. Mm -hmm. It takes less than a year before governments around the world begin to look into the possibility of a weapon based on nuclear fission. The infamous Manhattan Project was approved in the U.S. in late 1941. J. Robert Oppenheimer was recruited in 1942, and the rest is history. The Trinity nuclear test, the first detonation of a nuclear weapon, occurred on July 16, 1945, in central New Mexico. Yep, New Mexico. They had it coming, you know. <laughs> That's what they say. Uh, Look, I've been New there. Mexico. They're bad people. That's all yeah, I'm saying. All of them. Have you, have you heard the story of what they thought might happen when they first tested the bomb? No. What did they think? So there's this, there's this infamous story, which is, like, mostly true. Uh, there was a worry among the, the all the scientists who were involved in this project that the fission, the nuclear fission, would be so hot that it would essentially burn the nitrogen in the air, causing a chain reaction and possibly ignite the entire atmosphere of the world. And they still did it? They had done some calculations about it, and they were like 99% sure it wouldn't happen, but they weren't 100% sure, and they did it anyway. Wow, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty telling, I guess. I mean, hey, well, you know, I'm not 100% sure of anything, you know, so. <laughs> Can you be 100% sure of anything before you do it? Look, me yeah. brushing my teeth might set fire to the atmosphere and kill everyone on the planet. Exactly. When I came on this podcast, it's possible that every goat in the world could have died. Yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah, I can't, can't be 100% sure that maybe on this podcast. It could have been podcast. this podcast that set fire to the atmosphere and killed everyone. Yeah, we don't know. You don't The know. atmosphere could be on fire right now. I'm in a windowless room. No, yeah. I'm, there is a window. And as they, as they tested the first nuclear bomb, as it blew up in the desert... Uh, multi this huge multicolored mushroom explosion that was like twenty percent bigger than they thought it would be. Uh, in case you thought they had calculated this all out perfectly, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, a huge cheer goes up among the onlookers. Everyone start the J. Robert Oppenheimer was said to strut like he was in a western because he did it. <laughs> uh, what a dog! Yeah, there's the then there's the classic quote: "I am become death, the destroyer of worlds." <laughs> That's from that's that's Oppenheimer quoting the Bhagavad Gita. Did he really said that? Yeah, really said that. Yeah, nice. I guess you probably gotta have that in your back pocket if you're gonna be the guy who's inventing fission. I mean, yeah, it's it's also like, why why do you want to become the destroyer of worlds? I don't know. Did so? Did those people who watched it? Did they get radiation poisoning, or were they far enough away that they were fine? I don't think they did, but it's interesting you bring that up. The first government-funded fatal nuclear accident occurred just a month later. (laughs) Harry Daglian worked at the Los Mm. Alamos Laboratory, the secret site responsible for designing and building the first nuclear bombs. 
Trying to build a neutron reflector with tungsten bricks and a plutonium core, Daglion dropped a tungsten brick onto the core by accident, causing an uncontrolled chain reaction. This gave him a fatal dose of radiation, and he died 25 days later. Yikes. Yeah. D- folks, don't drop those bricks. <laughs> A second similar accident occurred less than six months later, as physicist Louis Slotin, maybe, maybe Sloten, I don't know. Sloten. (laughs) Sloten attempted to manually assemble a critical mass of plutonium. A screwdriver slipped, a prompt critical reaction occurred, and the eight men in the room were all irradiated. uh, Sloten was the only one to die in the next 10 days. Sloten. Yeah, however, three of them died a few decades later of radiation related causes. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Yeah. We're basically almost every single one of the incidents I'm going to tell you about, because we're going to do kind of a listicle thing where I tell you about a bunch of different times we fucked up with nuclear weapons. Um, Basically, every single one of them ends in like horrible property damage, environmental damage, or death. Or yeah. or multiple of those. They need to be wearing sticky gloves while they do their work. <laughs> have they, this have is they heard this... of Velcro? Yeah, have they heard of... Um, uh, excuse me, uh, Mr. Uh, nuclear Bomb Guy? Have you heard of uh, Velcro? <laughs> well, I, all I'm saying is that when I use tungsten bricks, I tie them on a string around my neck. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Velcro, a wrench, sticks on. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> He's like walking around with it like... Hitting everyone as he goes. Oh shit! I forgot to take off my tungsten brick. Yeah, they could just have a giant Velcro roll. You know, when they get stressed out from doing all the nukes, this they could just funny, run into it. This is all funny, but like, it still would have been smarter than what he did. He was yeah. just like placing them with his hands, and he dropped it. Yeah, it seems like there should have been some. Uh, some kind there should of have at least up. been a sign that says, "Please don't drop this." <laughs> You can't, be, that should be in the job interview. It should be like, oh, are you a klutz? Uh, you know, then you can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> For this particular job, you need some hand-eye coordination. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, if you if that's not for you, maybe take a desk job or something. Maybe stick the theoretical side. Of, they should have just you know, given him a a brick and just said hold this and then they just watch him for 20 minutes that's it. and that's, became, the, that's yeah. the job application that's the job interview yeah it's all way to go hard. buddy uh weirdly in these two incidents where like these criti- these criticalities occurred and killed somebody uh it was the same plutonium core both times oh it's probably cursed they were right, well, they, then I take it, they back. literally started calling it the demon core and it was like melted down and put into a bigger one Whoa. So they didn't have to deal with it by itself anymore. That's good. Diffuse a demon core. That's a smart strategy. Yeah. <laughs> Put the demon core in <laughs> another core. That's, Be gone, that, demon that, core. That works. That'll do it. We got it. The first nuclear weapon loss in history occurred in 1950. So five years later. An Air Force plane did a simulated bombing run in British Columbia, and three of its engines caught fire. There was never any danger here of a like nuclear event, yeah. as the plutonium core was not included in the bomb. And it's 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 I, I'm kind of making it sound like these kind of nuclear bomb like explosions are like an inch away all the time, but like it's actually pretty difficult. Like there's no way for it these chain reactions to cause a nuclear explosion like that. Like 
these plutonium cores that I was talking about weren't going to blow up. Yeah. That wasn't going to happen. You, there's like a very specific set of circumstances that have to happen to cause the actual explosion. It feels a lot like the uh, these new Ben and Jerry's ice cream flavors with the hollow core, and that's the plutonium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The core is the important part. Like Exactly, yeah, yeah. With this, otherwise, it's just vanilla ice cream. Yeah. without. But then now it's got delicious, creamy, a plutonium core. Yeah. I personally, I love eating plutonium. Although, it's the I'm, new, although uh, uranium is like, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. The new Jimmy Fallon flavor. <laughs> uh, nuclear. Uh, yeah, are you, vision. are you a plutonium or uranium or a cesium guy? Yeah, exactly. You know, cesium I'm, is like the strawberry of <laughs> the flavors. So anyway, there was no real danger of a nuclear event because the plutonium core wasn't in these, this bomb, but it was jet when it was jettisoned from the plane for the, safety of the crew uh it did have five thousand pounds of conventional explosions on it as well explosives on it why that's oh every <laughs> every nuclear bomb also has like thousands of pounds worth of like explosives just in case it didn't work as yeah it's like part of the bomb oh it's just like a adding insult to industry injury yeah you need the core and you need the like two thousand pounds of tnt as well all right there you go you heard it here first yeah that's, that's how you make a nuclear bomb. That's a yeah. This podcast is how things. to make a bomb. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yeah. The the five thousand pounds of conventional explosives did go up over the uh, ocean. Uh, Twelve of the seventeen crewmen survived the crash, and Canadian authorities were never told that the plane had carried a nuclear weapon. Nice. Right? Sorry, Justin Trudeau. Yeah. Uh, there were, there's going to be a running theme of that where the United States uh, had a nuclear accident and didn't tell the country that was involved. Well, it's not a lie. We just didn't tell them everything. So Yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. Uh, there are also a few other incidents similar to this where there was a crash and the bomb exploded but didn't have the necessary atomic core for a full nuclear explosion. Like, the, the, the bomb went up or, like, the bomb was lost, but it wasn't in danger of an actual nuclear event. Uh, they, uh, people still died, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In these, in these accidents. Um, and before we get into the rest of them, we're going to kind of move through the fifties and sixties specifically, because those were the, well, fifties, sixties and seventies, because those were, that was the golden age of nuclear accidents. Uh, we're going to take a break to hear an ad for another show on the major cast network. I'm Tom Lockney. And I'm Liam Sr. I really like video games and internet culture. And I like movies and TV. And every week we research a true story from our preferred mediums and tell it to the other person. It's super fun and it's great. And even when it gets a little intense, we find the laughs in it, damn it. Lots of learning, lots of laughter, sometimes bummers, but lots of friendship. Media Majors, every Monday on the Major Cast Network. And we're back here, folks. <laughs> so when, I, when we left off... We were talking about all those times nukes almost went off and shit. Yep. We're going to keep doing that. <laughs> Let's keep going, baby. Yeah. Brat, brat. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell you every time the U.S. military was involved in a nuclear weapon accident. Because uh, that, that many, would huh? take forever because there are so many. Love it. Yep. Let's talk. We're going we're gonna to skip forward to 1954. Where they tested a hydrogen bomb and underestimated the size and carry of the fallout. They were testing this on the Bikini Atoll. 
Haha, uh, And the fallout carried was the the bomb was bigger than they expected, and the winds carried the fallout in a direction and speed they didn't expect, and it carried over to the Marshall Islands, which were not evacuated. Uh oh. Yeah. The natives there have since suffered several kinds of health complications because of radiation poisoning. Wow. How many people is that? I don't know. Oh, you know, it's a thriving community. I feel like this really nuke thing did not go well for them. Yeah, there were also Japanese fishermen that got caught up in the fallout. Yikes. So all those people had serious health implications? You know, classic fun stuff? Yep. uh, I believe the Marshall Islanders received some kind of financial compensation for this. Uh, The Japanese fishermen (laughs) didn't. Yeah, sorry, Japanese fishermen. <laughs> yep. Uh, they probably got a lot of fish, you know, that washed up dead from the nuke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, maybe. I think, I think, I I might be wrong in this. I'm not, like, a scientist, because, you know, I was, I'm a podcaster, but uh, the, uh, I believe water is a pretty good, like, buffer for nuclear stuff, generally. Oh, I actually heard that, like, with, uh... Hiroshima that like there was these two boys who like went underwater mm-hmm. and they, they were diving for like clams or something and when they came back up everything had been leveled yeah and they died later from the radiation poisoning and I can't tell you that that's true but I can tell you that somebody told me it <laughs> and so now I regurgitate it to you as facts like yeah. we're saying podcasting it's not a science here <laughs> it's not a science and also it's not true yeah, I'm Josh Brosnan, a podcast MD. Yeah, <laughs> I'm Eric McAdams, professional liar. Yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm skipping a bunch of these stories where like plane crash and the nuclear cores they carried were never recovered, or they dropped nuclear bombs into the ocean without detonating. That kind of stuff, you know, little things, not important. Sure. Um, 1957, Golden, Colorado. Golden. A fire started in a storage unit containing plutonium. The con- the storage unit was supposed <laughs> um, to be fireproof. Imagine storage wars when they open the door and they're like, what's inside? A plutonium a fire. fire. <laughs> they're like, that's got to be at least worth 45. <laughs> also, it's burning everything down. Because yeah. the radioactive smoke spread over the area as the fire raged for 13 hours. Wow. Officials didn't tell nearby residents of the uh, radiation for years. The radiation was measured at a level comparable with Nagasaki, Japan, at a range of 30 miles around the facility. So those people are all asked. I mean, maybe. I I didn't see a thing that was like, and these were the health complications, but I assume there were some. Yeah. Safe to say. Yeah. In Morocco in 1958, a plane Morocco. carrying... Morocco. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to do that every time I say a plane? Yeah, thing? I feel like it's nice. I just feel like it's a nice time. Okay, thanks. Let's do it. In Morocco in 1958, Morocco. a plane carrying an armed nuclear weapon. An armed nuclear weapon. It had two arms. Hit the runway when its wheels didn't work right. The plane, I mean. Uh, some nuclear leaking was detected and the bomb was burned, but thankfully it didn't detonate. Thankfully. These stories go on and on just from the 1950s. Accidental criticalities, radiation leaks, lost nuclear weapons and cores. And it's not until the early 60s that the scientists in charge of building the bombs realize that they're not as safe as they could be. (laughs) <laughs> the incident that inspired uh, some change, at least, happened in 1961 in North Carolina. 
In North Carolina, a Oh, sorry, B- sorry. North Carolina. Thanks. A B-52 <laughs> bomber caught fire and crashed, dropping its two hydrogen bombs. There were four arming devices on the bombs, and they did have their plutonium cores and all that stuff. They did. They were. They were fully like operational. Oh boy! One was found to have activated three of its four arming devices. The only nice. thing that prevented a full-scale nuclear event in Goldsboro, North Carolina, Goldsboro, was one safety switch. Wow. Well. You know what they say, uh, lucky men in Goldsboro live long times. The other nuclear bomb dropped into a muddy field, and since it was going so fast, it like buried itself real deep. Did it explode? And it did not explode, but the they decided that excavation would be too difficult, and they uh, just left the bomb and the uranium. Uh, the, it's still there? The high, yeah, it's still there. The Air Force purchased the land above it and monitors it for contamination. Wow. Which, uh, there has been no contamination found. That sounds so weird. Imagine you just own that farm field and it's just like a 10 by 10 square bit. I wonder what they do over at that Air Force place over there. Yeah. They just don't let you dig. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're here to do. We're here to make you not dig. I spent 30 years in the Air Force making sure uh, no one dug. <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty easy job, as it turned out. Yeah, to protect and uh, not dig. That's the Air Force's <laughs> motto. Yeah, that's how it goes. So before I go further, I should say, I was inspired to this episode because Kira, who's a past guest, she, did, she was part of the Y2K episode. Kira. Yeah, suggested that I watch the documentary Command and Control, which you can find on Netflix. It's about an incident from 1980. We'll talk about that later. They talk about this 1961 incident, and they in- they interview Bob Purifoy, the director of weapon development at Sandia, the company that made the bomb and was responsible for making most of these bombs because that's what they were doing in the 50s and 60s because you'll remember, well, and 70s and 80s, you'll remember that they we had this whole pesky thing with the Soviet Union where we were both building nuclear weapons as fast as we could. Mm-hmm. It takes like 100, 200 nuclear detonations to like irrevocably change the entire makeup of the world and kill off billions of people. So I guess it's a good idea for our weapon stockpile to reach 20,000 in the mid yeah. 60s, 70s, that area. It was a fun competition. Area. Yeah, just, just, you know, make as many as you can. There's no downside, really. Exactly. It sounds like this is a good movie. Uh, it's Netflix, right? Yeah, Command and Control. Like the... I do recend the documentary quite a bit. We'll talk about it more in a, in a bit. Netflix and chill, folks. Yeah. This yeah, is a good yeah, one for it's... the Netflix and chill. There, I'll, ta- I'll tell you about some favorite parts of mine from the documentary. So Bob Purifoy talks about how the, this incident was like a wake-up call that made him realize that thousands of bombs that they had created did not have adequate safety procedures like they could very easily be uh mucked with with fire like if the fire got to the got to the soldering of on the thing it could make wires cross and have safety stuff fail there were all kinds of stuff that they found like oh wow these are not nearly as safe as they should be that doesn't mean that the incident stopped (laughs) no planes keep crashing all throughout the 60s while carrying nuclear bombs 1965 planes crash that much i feel like these planes crash so much dude it's fucking constant 
<laughs> it's all the time. Planes never crash, though. It's all the time in the friggin' military. Wow, it feels like they should be better. You would they think. Should, they should hire some of these pilots who work for Delta. <laughs> <laughs> they should maybe just do, like, commercial passenger flights instead. Yeah, they should just have the Seems air marshal take the nuke. There are there are crashes where like their engines catch fire and they have to land on the ground in the ocean. There are crashes where two planes hit each other in midair. There are crashes. There are just all the time. It's happening all the time. In 1965, a Skyhawk aircraft uh, attack aircraft fell off the side of an aircraft carrier while carrying a one megaton nuclear weapon. Wow. It just sank to the bottom of the sea. That's where, it, and that's where it remains. Yeah, there you go. One megaton. A bomber collided with another plane while flying over Spain and crashed, contaminating a two square kilometer region, including farmland and residential areas. The region was still contaminated forty years later. Wow. They were less than honest with the uh, Spanish authorities about it. That's fun. A similar thing happened in the Thule Air Base up in Greenland in 1968. Uh, if you uh, listen to my episode about Nazis, which was like that 10th episode that we did, it's called Fuck Nazis. There you go. There was something called the Thule Society, which was like this arcane Nazi thing where they thought the there was like a race of giants from Greenland and stuff that had descended into the Aryan race. That was what they really truly believed. <laughs> and they, it was called the Thule Society, and it turns out the Thule Air Base is a thing in Greenland. Wow. Yeah. The USS Scorpion sank in 1968. Taking Absolutely its... sick name. Yeah, right? Anyway, Badass. it doesn't exist anymore because it sank, and its 99 crew members died while it sank. And also, it had two nuclear torpedoes that went to the bottom of the Atlantic, where they remain. If you're going to sink on a boat fucking cool that it was named scorpion yeah i guess <laughs> what how did it sink uh while en route from rota spain to norfolk virginia oh the cause of sinking remains unknown actually perfect that's classic well yeah. i guess that makes sense because like you're on a submarine and they didn't recover it so they can't be like ah this was the thing that failed yeah fair enough just just fucking sank yeah, so it's saying there was a second plutonium. You remember Golden, Colorado, where they had that fire that Golden. spread the smoke? There was a second yep. plutonium fire there. Oh, classic. <laughs> there must, was there some shitty Air Force base there or something? There, there was just like a laboratory, I think. Okay. Where they, you know, worked with plutonium. There was a test site in Nevada that vented radioactive smoke. There was They, they switched to underground tests in like the 60s. And they it, it vented radioactive smoke out of the ground in 1970. Fun. And the particles carried over parts of Nevada, California, and Idaho. Wow. Yeah. Uh, th- I think Time described it as one of the worst, like, nuclear accidents in history. So did they, a lot of people got radiation poisoning? I guess. Like I, I, I don't... I haven't heard much about it aside from, like, time described as one of the worst nuclear accidents <laughs> in history. So, like, I, I don't know that much about that one. The there 70s also saw a lot of spills of irradiated water that contaminated Fun. places. That Fun. was, like, a big theme in the 70s, I noticed. Uh, so, But then let's, let's talk about the big one. Let's talk about the one let's in 1980. The, the big that, boy. <laughs> yeah, the one that Command and Control is, is all about. Uh, Command. Control. This one involved a Titan II missile in Damascus, Arkansas. Uh, this was a missile silo holding the United States' largest nuclear missile at the height of the Cold War. 
this was the silo blew up. <laughs> How did it blow up? A guy dropped a nine-pound socket from near the top of the missile on a on like a routine maintenance thing. Velcro gloves. He needed the Velcro gloves. It fell and hit the fuel tank, causing a leak that filled the whole silo with fuel. And then it went boom. Yeah, and then like you know, and then a few hours later, the it ignited. But the bomb didn't detonate. That's that's. The explosion that occurred hours later killed a man who was trying to fix it and, like, tried to deactivate the nuclear thing, make sure that it wouldn't go off. Uh, But it didn't cause the missile to explode. It didn't cause the nuclear warhead to explode. That's good. The nuclear bomb itself was later found in a nearby field. That's how far it had been blown by the explosion. Uh, just picture some guy being like, honey, what is this? No, no, that's not what happened. They, the military was in force being like, we need to find this fucking thing and tell everyone that everything's fine. Yeah. The Titan II missile was more powerful than every explosive used in World War II combined. Nice. If it had gone off, the fallout would have stretched for 5,000 miles and Arkansas would not exist. It's all that's almost unfathomable to imagine. So what would happen where Arkansas is now? It would just be a big hole or it would be a... Yeah, it would be a radiated wasteland. Like it would be gone. Whoa. It would be it would be worse than Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Wow. And they would well, be the much whole worse. state. Bill Clinton would be would be dead. Would never have been president. Oh, you're right. You're yeah. right. Governor uh, of Arkansas. Damn. Fast times, wild times, yeah, crazy just times. The, like, the fallout would have reached, like, New York or something. Yeah. Probably would have been even farther than that, 5,000 miles. That's yeah. really... Five, that's yeah, it, and it would have, like, spread out. Yeah, it would have been insane. My favorite part of the documentary of Command and Control, which is all about this incident, is when wait, they wait, ask... is that what that song... And I would walk 5,000 <laughs> miles. Is it 500 to miles? To avoid nuclear fallout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> da, 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 da. That's the sound of the bomb detonating. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Yeah. So my favorite part of the documentary Command and Control is when they asked Bob Purifoy, the former director of weapon development at Sandia, whether the Titan II missile in Arkansas could have detonated. Like, they, they ask this question. He goes, yes, before they've even finished asking the question. Wow. There's this instant, like, yes, of course it could have gone off, you moron. Yeah. <laughs> like, it absolutely could have gone off. I, and he also talked earlier in the movie about how he is shocked that, it, like, it's a miracle that there has not been an accidental nuclear explosion. Yeah, well, that's part of the issue with nukes, right, is that, like, it's maybe even less likely that, it's much more likely that it's gonna, they're gonna destroy the world via accident than via... Oh, yeah. Intent. And we've got more than enough to destroy the whole world. Oh, yeah. yeah. Even to this day, we don't have 20,000 nukes anymore, but... We still have a lot, though. Yeah. Also notable is the fact that the U.S. military had a, pol- had a policy of plausible deniability and the classic can neither confirm nor deny anything mm. involving any of these. Their basic strategy was to always blame human error in these cases, never the machinery. They deflected blame onto the crew, like dropped a socket wrench or, you know, some kind of, you know, the, the, they, they did something wrong in the safety procedures, that kind of thing. They always blamed the crew for making the mistakes and never the machinery, 
or the fact that we have like all these weapons in the first place. Yeah. Like they never blame the safety construction. They always make sure to blame the technician because that makes people think like, Oh, this was just, you know, some a idiot. Fluke. Yeah. Not, not a, not any, not a real problem. Yeah. They're like, who would want our, uh, nuclear bomb to be wrench or socket proof? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, this is this guy's fault. He should have known that a nine-pound socket would cause a catastrophic explosion. Yeah, yeah, it makes no sense. Yeah. There's also there's also a point, like, in this, in the Titan 2 thing, they make a big point of this. There's There are these dudes who, like, went back in after everyone had evacuated. The thing was full of fuel. Like, if, if it goes off, they know at least one of them is going to die. Mm-hmm. And they do that, and they go in, and, like, that's... That's like you you would think that they would be treated like heroes after that, right? Yeah. They are instead treated like it was all their fault and they violated the safety uh, procedures and they got a they letter got of reprimand from the, wow. the military. Yeah. 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 Someone's gotta take the fall. But I think I think the most telling thing about all this, like, is still the fact is just how many accidents there were. Up until relatively recently, the Department of Defense insisted that there have only been 32 broken arrow incidents, which are nuclear accidents that could have seriously endangered the public. That's still a lot more than you'd like. Yeah, 32 of them. 32 (laughs) broken arrow incidents. That's a lot. But recently, a declassified Department of Energy report said that there had been over 1,000 accidents and incidents involving nuclear weapons. Yeah, <laughs> and I told you, and we, you were like, "How many planes are crashing? Like, how many? How often was this going Thousands. on?" There's a quote from a higher up in the Defense Department uh, in the documentary. It says because he he basically talks about how once he finds out that the nuclear weapon had didn't have a chance of going off, and like there was not a danger of a nuclear explosion, he just kind of ignored it yeah. because he said. Accidents were not unusual in the Defense Department. There must have been several every day. Wow. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> That's concerning. I feel like it's, we're just living on borrowed time here. Yeah, and then they would censor these accidents. Bob Purifoy, the guy in charge of making the weapons safer, yeah. was not told about hundreds of incidents involving his, <laughs> like, his weapons. <laughs> They're just like, ah, he doesn't need to know. Yeah, and like... You can see how, like, how he's been, like, he's he's very kind of reserved and guarded, the guy in the documentary. Sure. But you can see he's been, like, affronted about this for decades. Like, he's supposed yeah, yeah, to be yeah. making stuff safer. And, like, they didn't let him. Like, they didn't tell him that stuff was going wrong. That's crazy. Yeah, politicians were told that there was no danger. Like, the vice president of the United States was told he could, they could neither confirm nor deny anything about the, the nuclear warhead after the wow. 1981. And then, the, and then they blamed the workers for human error. Classic. Yeah. So, some closing facts before we Perfect. get to the more fun part of the uh, the episode. <laughs> uh, so, adjusting for inflation, the United States spent over $9 trillion on nuclear weapons between 1940 and 1996. The United States has produced over 70,000 nuclear weapons, more than every other nation combined, including the Soviet Union, which has produced 55,000, and has its own share of nuclear accidents. Yeah, theirs are probably 
I can't even imagine. Yeah. They probably have some good ones. There are still thousands of nuclear weapons in the United States stockpile scattered in planes, submarines, and silos around the country. There are all these secret facilities in remote parts of the United States that still have nuclear weapons just sitting there. We should sell them our Velcro gloves. We should... (laughs) (laughs) They need them. Go from place to place. Look, all I'm saying is, got a tungsten brick? Put some Velcro on it. Yeah. Make it stick. Tungsten brick. (laughs) Make it stick. Nuclear (laughs) gloves. Uh, This podcast is brought to you by Nuke Gloves. (laughs) The gloves worn by people who uh, don't want to drop stuff on their nukes. Yeah. This is brought to you by people who do not want to die in a nuclear winter. Exactly. Tired of dying in a nuclear hellfire? Yeah, uh, so that's the story of nuclear accidents committed by specifically the U.S. military. You'll notice that I didn't bring up stuff like the Three Mile Island incident. Yeah. Because that's not the military. That's a whole other There's a whole other, uh, yeah fun yeah and i didn't tell you everything like i went through this there there were there were like dozens on this wikipedia page i was doing and i didn't even mention all of them exactly yeah wikipedia this podcast brought to you by wikipedia yeah and also mysanantonio.com exactly uh and the command and control documentary seriously go watch yeah. that it's, it's netflix and chill Watch it with someone special. Yeah, watch it if you want to hear a guy named Gary talk about how he had to be ready at all times to murder millions of Russians. That sounds very uh, sexy to me. Yeah. He's like, he's literally like, the thing about deterrence is you have to be willing to do it. And he was like, I was ready to press the button and and send the Titan II missile over to kill millions of Russians. Can you imagine getting up for work in the morning? You're like, okay, I got to brush my teeth. I got to tie my shoes like i'll get ready to kill an entire country of people it's crazy that's what it was that's what they did that's what they were doing probably just a lot sitting and chilling for him though right because he's just you you click the button you don't click the button yeah he like flashbacks while he's like watching netflix or something yeah exactly he's just like oh it's time to go to work all right now don't give your dad the remote you know how he gets yeah exactly so for at the end of every every podcast episode josh I like to, because t- these are, these are sometimes bummers. <laughs> um, I like to tell a short story involving competence in an absurd way. All right, perfect. And we've, been, we've just been talking about weapons. Boom. This whole time. So we're going to, we're going to stick with that theme. Perfect. Um, did you know that they made flexible rapiers? Swords, flexible like what? The swords, the rapiers, like the thin. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I thought you said swords. rape ears. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, Do you know, they made is... flexible dueling swords. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, flexible rapiers. All right, like, uh, okay, I did okay, not know like, that. Has this ever happened to you? You're dueling some chucklehead, and your sword is too straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, it's gotta be flexible. Why would they make these things? I just, I just want them to wobble. Why did they make these things? Like a whip. I guess so that's... I'm not sure why they made these things. I'm gonna send you a link in the chat real quick. So you can see. you can take a look at it. It's called the this specific thing. It's been going around Twitter a little bit. Let's see. So it's a flexible rapier, and the sheath is like a is is sculpted into a snake. Oh. And the snake curls around in a circle, which means the rapier is able to bend all the way around in this perfect circle as you like. Whoa! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that same. Thing. It was made in Toledo or Toledo in in Spain in the 19th century in 1846. 
It's made of steel, silver, and brass. So, like, I'm guessing a lot of the decoration is silver. How does it bend, though? I, I, look, the Toledo swordsmiths, like, they were, they're known for being, like, very, very good. Like, they're very good with sure. steel. And, like, I've seen, I've seen stuff in movies about, like, you know, swordsmen, like, bending the swords as they fight. But yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't see how it would, like, be useful in a fight, I will say. Yeah, 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 it feels like he's got a floppy sword now. Yeah, it's just, like, a sword that's, like, circular. <laughs> yeah, When yeah, you've yeah. got it instead of just, like, a normal sheath. It does not seem very useful. Yeah, a sword that looks like a whip. It's kind of cool, though. It's kind of badass. You pull out your circle sword. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, I just, I just got a circle yeah, sword. Yeah, not a know. big deal. It bends. Yeah, and it, like, comes out and it's, like, wobbling all around. Unpredictable. Yeah, exactly. yeah it looks pretty cool. It seems to yeah. be straight when it's out of it. I just... You look at it, it's like, huh, finally, a sword for the man who wants to wiggle. Nice, yeah, exactly. You, uh, do you enjoy sword fighting to the death, but are tired of not being whimsical enough? Uh, we got the, <laughs> boy, do I have the perfect thing for you. <laughs> have we got the product for you? Yeah, are you trying to stab somebody in the heart, but right before, want them to see your sword and be like, how did it do that? Are you trying to stab someone in the heart from their shoulder? exactly yeah are you trying to stab someone in their knee and their foot at the same yeah, time exactly god anyway that's the story of the wiggly sword exactly uh the tale of the wiggly sword yep. it's a it's a mask of zorro sequel mm-hmm, mm-hmm. god i love that movie it's a good one yeah. that's one of my favorites like all time the mask of zorro yeah yeah classic all right josh before we go do you got anything you want to plug just living my life i'm over here in brooklyn uh Come, come fight me. You got some internet writing, don't you? Yeah, I've, I've, uh, not too much, but I've been published on McSweeney's, uh, follow me on Twitter, at Dr. Brosnan, uh. Oh, did you change the at? I changed the at, it was Josh Brosnan 2, and that felt, uh, you know, I'm the number one Josh Brosnan in my book. Well, you're the number one Dr. Brosnan. Yeah, exactly, well, I am the number one Dr. Brosnan, so follow me there, uh, doing bar shows, doing some, uh, comedy, stand-up comedy, improv comedy. I'll, I'll I'll vouch for Josh's Twitter account. It's got some funny stuff on there. There you go. He tweets. You tweet more than I do now. I've I've now surpassed Eric in the tweet. Yeah, you're uh, on okay. there a lot. Decent amount. It's all the jokes just keep coming. All the jokes. Bop bop bop. Uh, okay, my name is Eric McAdams. You can find me on Twitter at Audacious Yours. You can find my personal website, No Character Is Safe. You can find stuff that I've written by googling my name, and you can find the other shows that I'm on on the Major Cast Network by going to the Major Cast Network. That, which is at majorcastnetwork.com. Do it. Yeah. All right. Say goodbye, Josh. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. You heard it first. This podcast next week is going to have Barack Obama on it. Yep. That's right. Former president, Barack Obama. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major. <laughs>